You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums. You must hear before you die. This episode, we'll be talking about Brian Eno, Before and After Science. On the line, I have Rob. Hello. And Ben. Glad to be here. Before and After Science is the fifth studio album by British musician Brian Eno, released on December 1977 on Polydor Records in the UK and Island Records in the US. The producer was Eno and Rhett Davies. And... The genre is art rock, experimental pop, art pop, avant pop, and I'm going to read from All Music Review, David Ross Smith. Before and After Science is really a study of studio composition, whereby recordings are created by deconstructing and eliminating. Tracks are recorded and assembled in layers, then selectively subtracted one after another, resulting in a composition and sound quite unlike that at the beginning of the process. Despite the album's pop format, the sound is unique and strays far from the mainstream. Eno also experiments with his lyrics choosing a sound over sense approach. When mixed with the music, these lyrics create a new sense of meaning or the feeling of meaning, a concept inspired by abstract sound poet Kurt Schweitzer. The last five tracks, uh, the entire second side of the album is uh, displayed as sincereness unlike anything in the pop music field. These compositions take on an occasional pastoral quality, pensive and atmospheric. Cluster joins Eno on the mood evoking by this river, but the album's apex is the final cut, Spider Nye. With its misty emotional intensity, the song seems at once said, sad yet hopeful. The music on Before and After Science at times resembles Another Green World and Here Come the Warm Jets and ranks among both as the most essential Eno material. All right, what did you guys think of Brian Eno, Before and After Science? My first listen and wowie wow wow. (laughs) So goddamn good. Yeah, this one escaped me for some reason. This was my first listen as well. Uh, Really? Yeah, I'd heard both the... Uh, here come the warm jets and another green world. And I don't know why this one just, uh, I had read that, you know, it doesn't get its de- its due. Um, I did have a bit of issue with some of the stuff on the first side. I just wasn't as into, but the second side really brought it home for me. This album was my introduction to Brian, you know, it, it, it was in college years. And I think that, there was a day of, I, I was taking the rock and roll history courses, and I think I learned a lot about Brian Eno one day. And then, man, this is going to be the third episode we record in a row where I make a high fidelity reference. But cool, I, I, man. I, sorry, sorry. I, I, that I, hat trick. I used, to, I used to watch that movie all the time. I really liked that movie. I, I was like getting into indie music and indie record stores and trying to expand my collection. 
And cool dudes there's, named Rob. I get and two, and cool dudes named Rob. And there's a scene where he, he's talking about, he's talking into the camera, breaking the fourth wall, and he's talking about like the perfect mixtape or whatever, and like the rules of making a perfect mixtape. And he's got his headphones on because he's actively making a mixtape. And in his hands while he's talking, he's holding a copy, I'm pretty sure, of Before and After Science. And it's like it's like the album that he's currently recording to the tape. You're not hearing it as the listener, but he's talking about making a mixtape. And he, he's listening to it, his ears. He's holding it. And it's such a like it, that album cover, that stark, high contrast picture of Brian Eno, just like white on black. It stuck with me. And when I learned about Brian Eno at the Rock and Roll History class, I went out and got, got this record. Sorry, that's a long story. But yeah, yeah, the, 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 the introduction. I really liked songs at the time i really liked songs like the more pop oriented ones like no one receiving i was really into king's lead hat it reminded me at the time of like devo stuff that i liked and i wasn't that into side two and fast forward to now and i'm i'm like way into side two yeah yeah, yeah. i i dis i don't know i think i kind of dislike uh kurt's rejoinder some of the stuff that has this this sort of like poppy bass that is is rhythmic but doesn't have is a disjointed r- rhythm is i don't i just don't feel like he has a has a strong presence on those songs for whatever reason maybe it's his his vocals or maybe it's something else but he's really strong on side 2 so i, I feel like he's right at home and the side 1 is he's trying something a bit different whereas side 2 it, it feels very natural I think sometimes when you're using those oblique strategies cards, you get songs like uh, Kurt's Rejoinder uh, because the cards told you what to do, which is so fucking nuts because this is the 10 songs out of 100 he recorded. Yeah. And so who the like has there been like a re-release of this with all of the other tracks or is it just well, always he just these 10? Did he write a hundred? I think he just wrote think, it. Oh, he, okay. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I, th- I thought that he put it down. Well, he's still alive, so there's still time. Those songs are just bouncing around in his head right now. <laughs> if they were written, then hopefully they were written down. Record them, release them. Yeah, I, I honestly, Birch, I didn't have a problem with uh, Kurt's rejoinder. I, I put a star next to every song. <laughs> I, I liked it also, goddamn much. I, I, I hate uh, that I kind of go, oh yeah, well this band must have listened to this because this sounds like this thing, which I, I, I find myself that I do quite a lot on this, um, but I would be remiss if I didn't say that like on No One's Receiving right around uh, minute 33, if Trent Reznor hadn't been taking cues off of that for the end of Closer with the just the, the, the piano sounds and the weird ass like synthesizer like overtones, like I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if he had sampled it and then like was using that for the outro mm, of yeah. it, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Uh, and then uh backwater, which Kurt's joining just in there in our ears. So I'm just trying to catch up. Um, have you guys listened to much XTC? Yeah, um, no XTC. Not full albums, but singles. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If you look, if you listen to that song and then listen to black sea, like it's, it's right. It's right in the fucking pocket, man. I mean, I but that. but who the hell wouldn't be like? Who? What cool dude would not be listening to Eno at that point in time, being like, okay, well, yeah, this is this is what shit should sound like, and it's always like the, no song sounds the same. Like, there's not like an Eno formula, you know? 
because yeah. I, I guess it is just oblique strategies. Like, so there's, you can actually call out specific things with Brian Eno's songs that you can almost pinpoint if a band was into it because it never sounds like Brian Eno again, if that yeah. makes sense. It does. Um, it does. Yeah. When I was so reading just, this week, I was reading about all the different like musicians that collaborated on this album. Tons of great musicians, a lot of musicians that we we've covered. And I read that, uh, what is it? Uh, Yaki, uh, Leibzeit, uh, uh, the drummer from can, yeah, plays on track two, Backwater. And I, I knew the song, but I couldn't place it in my head, so I, I pulled it up. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the drums on Backwater is just 16th notes on the hi-hat and a kick drum on the one is for the whole song. I was waiting to hear some, some you know, at can drums. Like uh, The drums on can albums are really, really cool. And But, you know, I guess he always just plays what the song requires, and that song just required a straight straight 16th in the hi-hat and a kick on the one <laughs> those oblique st- strategies required that my friend yeah, oh, yeah it's also right. possible that he recorded that he recorded other drums you know he it might not have been that at the beginning and he reduced i, I think a lot of this album was him seeing okay let's get in the studio let's record this stuff we will we will mix it differently like we will record it all and then take things away, sample things, you know, push things up in the mix. It, it's it's a bit of a experiment in that way. I love how, and, and partially thanks to the Oblique Strategies cards, but just how freely Brian, Brian Eno, the artist, is just able to let inspiration flow through him. You know? Yeah. Like he can... He can he can channel that like not many other people can. And, and, and I'm sure part of that is the oblique strategies. You know, it takes the ego out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I, I wrote on our little chat that like King's lead hat equals talking heads. And I don't know why I know that piece of trivia, but I, I do. And Ben, you, you responded with the, uh, always remind me of Devo. And then later on this week was like, Oh shit, Kingsland had us an anagram for talking heads. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I found out that uh like talking heads were touring with Ramones uh through through England. Um and Eno caught that show and then Kingsled Hat came after that. And then of course Eno pr- goes on to produce like some of Talking Heads best work like afterwards. Yeah. But, yeah, like this is the toughest Eno song I've ever heard. Like at least like the more, the most driving Eno song I've heard. I was going to say, yeah, it, it definitely is. (laughs) When this song came on, I was like, all right, you know, maybe I wasn't so into some of the earlier songs, but from here on, I just, yeah, it's great. was the song that 
I knew that made me want to get the album. And then when I got the album and no other songs sound like this, my first feeling was <laughs> disappointment. And then eventually with maturity comes comes an appreciation for everything else on this album. But at the time I thought I I thought I was finding some cool like proto synthy new wave that I had never heard before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it sounds like um it reminds me of the first love album, Seven and Seven Is, where there's that song and then yeah. no other song on the album ha- is that song. You know, it's its its own unique single just plopped on the, you know, right in the middle of the album. Yeah. It's very cool, though. I can completely see, too, him, you know, talking heads this this particular song. It, it's, it makes perfect sense. It has a very talking yeah. heads feel and angular funk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very, very driving. Cool closer for side one, though. Um, like, and and side two doesn't start out with a banger anymore. Like, what actually, what I was gonna, what I was trying to figure out, um, I saw that Connie Plank was engineering because some of the stuff is recorded at his studio, and I kind of figured that a lot of the German artists and like the like were, would just be going to Connie's studio to do the recording, which I thought probably meant that the second half was mostly done at Connie's studio, which would give like way more credence to why it sounds so goddamn good. That would um, make sense. Yeah. I mean, unless he was just flying everyone out to England or where he was recording, wherever it was going to be recording, but like the majority of the Germans were recording on side two. Yeah. So now we're listening to here. He comes. I, I just think Eno's voice fits, fits in more with this music. Does that make sense? I think his, Um, his vocalization uh, seems for me, it it seems to work better. Now I won't say King Kingsled hat. He seemed pretty good on. Yeah. But but, uh, some of those other songs like, uh, backwater, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not, Speaking negatively of the songs, I know you actively don't dislike any of the songs on this perch because you have two ears and a heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I agree with you. Like, this feels more like another green world. Yeah, yeah. It just feels. He feels more natural. It just feels like something that it's it's more Eno. It's more his speed. It's more his. yeah, but uh, but I appreciate people trying new things. I mean, it's like him and Bowie are this at this time just experimenting, trying different things, trying these. Uh, I mean, he, he basically tried to make a rock, rock record. Yeah, totally. Like, how old were both of those dudes at this point? Like, were they 27, 28? Yeah, Bowie, I think, was around, yeah, I want to say 26, 27. Uh, you know, was, was 29. He was born... So, 48 as i sit here on my throne of lies (laughs) unable to at a certain point like appreciate so many bands like that and and ben going back to your college years thinking that like king's lead hat was gonna be this like oh my god this amazing like Mm-hmm. underground new wave thing I never heard about and you hear the rest of this and you're like oh it took me until I was 35 until I was ready for this and these motherfuckers are just like shitting this out in their 20s right like, right god damn it god damn it it was uh, it, it's hard to go back I mean it's very hard to 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 jump out of your era 
It really is. I mean, when you hear something like Here He Comes, it's so subtle. Julie with, so subtle. I mean, it's... I was not this subtle at 29. It's... I'm barely this subtle at 39. Yeah. It's... it's You want new, you want exciting. It's... it's and, and at the time, this sort of minimal music was new and exciting for people like Can and... Um, Craftwork. New Craftwork. Yeah. Noi. No way. Yeah. No excuse me. Yeah. No, don't don't you dare new me. Sorry. <laughs> I'll new you. So, so is, is Julie with uh, about murder or no? I read online that some people think it's about murder. I read the lyrics and I think that sounds like a stretch. I thought it sounded like murder, someone dying, possibly suicide. Yeah. yeah. Abstract. Yeah. So I was looking up strategy that was. I actually wrote down uh, at uh, one of my thoughts was I want to see all the failed albums made by bands using the oblique strategies. <laughs> <laughs> we can do oh, it. I want that Spotify playlist. I would bump that man. Oh man. For, 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 for every like 30 songs that are just going to be stinkers, you're going to find some cool, weird new shit. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I looked up what synthesizers uh, Eno was using on this record. Uh, you, you got your mini modes, you got uh, whatever the hell that one thing that I just keep calling Battleship. Uh, which oh, one has that been? E- EMS or EMS, the, the AKS. Yeah, you got that. But he, he was this. I think this is the first appearance we've had of a Yamaha CS80, which I talked about last time with the. Yeah. Um, Stevie Wonder's uh, like GX1 being the uh, the progenitor of the CS80. CS80 is actually what uh, Vangelis did the Blade Runner soundtrack and Chariots of Fire with. Um, it was the first kind of like commercially available 61 note, 8 note polyphony, but with polyphonic aftertouch which means you can play a chord and then push down a little bit harder with one of the fingers. And then that can activate a filter or whatever, which is how you get the, or it'll activate the ring modulator that's built into it, which is how Vangelis got all those weird ass, like blade runner sounds. Uh, Mm -hmm. Also had a, um, a strip on top of the keyboard, which was a, um, also a polyphonic aftertouch uh, controller that could do like big ass glissando glides down. Um, and the reason why I bring that up is like, I was like, am I hearing a CS 80? And yeah, he, there's, there's a few different songs where you can absolutely hear, hear that. Yeah. Thing. Which, which one? Um, CS 80 was I'm just curious. Oh, Did I even write down which one it was? I would have backwater definitely had it on it. Okay. Um, but I didn't check Mark next to him, which ones it was, but I did some, uh, did some math. Uh, if you guys want to know what a Yamaha CS80 cost back in the day. Yes, please. $6,900 American dollars is what you would pay for a Yamaha CS80. Is that $1977? That is 1976 dollars. Do you know how much that is in today's dollars? Tell me. $31,992.54. Oh, my goodness. You're buying a Toyota. Yeah, which what used to be some of like – the uh, so the synthesizer like things like if you can buy a truck, you can buy a synthesizer, which I think was also I would hope so <laughs> yeah well, like that for like the early computers as well. 
<laughs> if, I oh, mean, what, what song is this? This is Julie with. Yeah, that that background noise is absolutely uh, uh, CS80. Okay, but ah, yeah. <laughs> if if I yeah. can buy a truck, I can buy thirty Gibsons. Or and then what you do with those Gibsons is you rent them out. And you know what those Gibsons are doing for you now? They're making, They're making you, you money. money. <laughs> <laughs> so let let alone aftertouch. Uh, were you saying in, in the last episode we recorded, were you saying that this is pretty new for polyphonic synthesizers? Yeah. Yeah. Um, for the most part, all analog synthesizers were uh, monophonic. Um, so well, uh, uh, GX1, the reason why, like, and I think that came out like a couple of years before Stevie used it, like on, on that last record. Um, but yeah, like the idea of having like a, an analog or the digital didn't even exist at this point. So the idea of like stacking oscillators to the point where a finger could have its own individual, like, like cord was crazy. But like the Yamaha, the, the CS 80 had, it had two dedicated oscillators with a bunch of filter banks on it. Um, but somehow splits that out amongst like four, four notes per oscillator that you could like hit. But like, the the aftertouch on it was the reason why it was such like a big deal. Like that that that's the again that's the reason why Vangelis calls it his favorite like synthesizer of all time. And he said he's the shame it didn't sell well, but it was really hard to play, which is why it like learning how to play it was more like how it's no longer just this like sterile like beat boop like synth yeah. it's uh like this is actually a performance mm. instrument it it, it, yeah. it it elevated the the instrument to or this the synthesizer to a point that like you, you can do add things nuance huge. yeah and honestly guys like and not not to just jump down this stupid fucking polyphonic like po- sorry polyphonic aftertouch thing like the most synthesizers of the 80s didn't have poly aftertouch the ensonic stuff did um which is what I, I, I have one, I, I have a, uh, a CSAD like uh, clone called uh, the Deckard's dream, uh, which I have to use an ensonic synth that has poly aftertouch to like play it because they, they there's still like, there's, there's one company called Rolly that makes like kind of gel things, but like, it's not like a keyboard. Like it's like, it's uh-huh. set up like a keyboard, but it's a gel mat that you have on a table and they, they have poly aftertouch, but like new synthesizers aren't making poly aftertouch at all. Like to get those sounds, you have to buy shit from like the late eighties to use a synthesizer that I bought two years ago to, to its full ability. Um, like it just never translated out. I'm so su- I'm surprised. It seems like, it seems like aftertouch would be a desirable feature. It and, seems like, and, and, and you touch on it uh, from the performance aspect, you know, like uh, uh, on a guitar, you know, like you you can bend a string, you know, you know, you can, the, there's the notes on the page and then the, you can, you can manipulate the instrument to give it more soul. And it seems like like synthesizer though, you know, technically a pr- relatively very sterile in, in, instrument, with the option to to where the sounds sound different depending on if you're pushing hard or not on the keyboard, it 
gives it that same thing as like like bending a string on a guitar. It, 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 you can perform more on it as opposed to just playing the notes on paper. And Ben, you're you're absolutely right with that. Um, and it does exist. It's called channel aftertouch. So you're playing one chord. So you're, you're 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 hitting all the notes at the same time, and then you push down on one note, and then like the filter and the modulation are used on all of the notes. Okay. So okay. channel aftertouch still exists and that was on the dx7 that was on the uh i'm not i'm, I'm drunk i'm not going to just count off synthesizers that i know at this point but that that, that, that was on a whole bunch of them and, and the dx7 like the yamaha's like fm synthesizer which is all over the 80s shit is absolutely like it's paramount that you're able to like make these different like nuanced changes to the entirety of a chord the poly aftertouch was different because you could just do one note okay. and it was hard to play because imagine like, uh, you know, imagine playing a chord and then pushing down a little harder on one of the notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. It's fucking weird. Especially when you're playing, which is why the, why, why Vangelis was such a like champion of it because he figured it out and he was able to do these fucking like really rad, like stuff or just compositions with it. Um, Anyways, that's a, that's a weird jumping off point. We, we can talk more about the Yamaha Rolling it back a couple of steps. Correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but, but when we say polyphonic versus monophonic, does that just mean that you can play more than one note at a time, whereas yes. monophonic... You can, and at this point, polyphonic is a new thing. We've listened to a lot of... We, we've kind of... We've been covering the history of the synthesizer on this podcast, kind of, because uh, we uh, ever since like the late 60s, we've been covering albums, whether it's Emerson, Lake and Palmer or Stevie wonder that are, are figuring out how to use a synthesizer. Mm-hmm. So, but up until recently people could just only play one note at a time on the synthesizer. Yeah. Then you have your organ and right, the, right, you right. can play your chords in the organ. Um, okay. But yeah, like all, all, all that ELP stuff is, is just other, oh, the Moog was only used for like ripping solos. Like everything else was right. all uh, all chord based, but yeah. So we're just now getting to the point where uh, you can use a synthesizer to play more than one note, or or you can use one synthesizer to play more than one note. You can buy eight of them. <laughs> well, you, hopefully, you've got a pretty wide spread of your fingers. No, you're going like, to be playing eight synthesizers. You, you can chain eight mini mugs together and play an eight note chord on the one, one mini Moog. It, it, it was like, Oh, pre- I see. It you're was using pre- one keyboard, but you're using eight brains. It, it was voltage controlled and it was pre MIDI. Um, okay. M- MIDI was what made all the synthesizers talk to each other eventually. But yeah, at, at this particular point in time, like the idea of even playing four notes at a, uh, at a time on, on one keyboard that was doing the synthesis was just like, Oh, Oh my God, I can't believe we're got four notes, you know, edge piano. Yeah. So like it's going really fast now. What are we 1977 here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah, within, within five years, uh, four or five years, you get the Yamaha DX seven like out and that, that that's the entirety of 1980s synthesizer like sound. So, okay. Uh, yeah, so, sorry for this jump off. I just it oh, was no, the first yeah. time I saw a CSAD pop up. I'm sure that there are a few people that appreciate us doing a deep dive into synthesizers of the mid seventies. The boy who tried to vanish to the future of us is no longer here with his sad blue 
Side two, Birch. I, I love, love it. side two. Yeah, when it when it side two started, I mean, after King uh, Kingsled had happened, and then when it, it here he comes, I was, I was like, what just happened? Because I was fully prepared to be like, yeah, I'm not into this album, and then it just turned around on me. Somehow it's it it it, it was pushing me away a bit. Uh, because Eno was going in this like rock direction, this sort of avant rock, and then all of a sudden it like turned around. And I was like, "This is awesome. This is like a weird Leonard Cohen or something." Do you think that this? Well, it, it literally is in this chronology, but do you think that this album, the album itself, between side one and side two, is almost like the handoff of Eno? with his rock and pop stylings towards Eno with his more ambient stylings that he would continue on with after this record. Like, is this is side one of this album, the last rock and roll, Eno that we have or not that we have that, that his discography has pretty sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, he does veer a bit more into the ambient side of things for sure. Uh, I was going to say though, I feel like the, the side one of this is, he is trying to do a more pop rock element than even he was doing with uh, another green world. I don't know what it is about it, but it, it sounds, it sounds like he's trying to do something that I'm not quite sure if is, if it's successful in my opinion. Um, I think it's really interesting. If he had continued along with side one of this album, if his career had kept on that trajectory as opposed to the trajectory of side two of this album, it seems like he would have been on like the cutting edge of new wave. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. he, 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 he was just because of this though. Like, right. Yeah. I, I don't think we get Gary Newman outside of this. Oh no, like, no, definitely. No. God damn. Like what a fucking cool dude. <laughs> who I, I, I'm, I'm just, I, I don't know why I'm surprised that Brian Eno is, is doing such great music at this particular point in time. I don't know why I never, like, bothered to, like, go, oh, yeah, Brian Eno was working with David Bowie in the 70s. Maybe I should give that guy a look. I don't know why <laughs> this is the first time that I'm, it's so pretty and just neat. I'm here I for it. Know, man. I'm fucking here for it, too. Yeah, I'm here yeah. for this. I'm here for this stuff. Absolutely. Positive for me. This, yeah, but w- w- what's on? Be before listening and to after now? science. Oh, this is through hollowed lands, I think, uh, or okay. through hollow lands, which is the second to last track on the record. And then Spider and I is just yeah. like fucking so good. Uh, yeah, absolutely fucking positive for me. Yeah, I have to go positive, even though I've, uh, like I said before, it just it 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 shocked me. Uh, it, it literally, I. I, I I've rarely listened to an album and been like, yeah, I don't know about this one. And then all of a sudden flipped a switch. It, and then it makes me want to go back and listen to the, uh, the first few songs over and over because I've, you know, I've checked, I've listened to those now three or four times more than I probably would if I 
if it didn't intrigue me, if the backside of the album didn't intrigue me so much. Birch, it's funny, uh, you and and like 19 years ago, me had opposite switches. I am, I am glad that in the twilight of my 30s, I'm able to appreciate all of these great records, even ones that previously I thought I had given their day in court and and not continued on with a a, a second period of listening with with a few with, with, with about a dozen years of, of age and experience has really done wonders and uh my life has been enriched by listening to these <laughs> records through this podcast and it's a wonderful thing i just oh. i remember actively listening to Alex Cornea try to like explain <laughs> Brian Eno to me. Shutting <laughs> <laughs> the fuck down. Just like, nope. <laughs> this is one gallon of beer in me and we are not doing this right now. <laughs> All right. Next time we'll be talking about another band that you might uh, find interesting. They're called Craftwork <laughs> and their album Trans oh. Europe Express. All right, thanks, y'all.